Well, good morning. Please open with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 6. <clears throat> and church, I just want you to know how much I love and appreciate you. There's a lot of things that go on that people are unaware of, like a church family that shows up to help a lady move this weekend, a church family that surrounds. We had two ER visits this weekend that surrounds those families and, and lifts them up and serves them. And I just want you to know how grateful I am. I'm grateful that, uh, not to embarrass you, Aubrey, but y'all have decided to invest in a young man who wants to, wants to pursue a life of ministry. We got to, we got to participate this morning, not in, just in the, a landmark for, for these two young men that were baptized, but that, Aubrey never baptized anybody, anybody before. And as far as speaking in front of the congregation, that, I believe the second time. Um, I remember the first time I baptized somebody. I think they got baptized in the name of Father, maybe. And I may or may not have got their names right. 50-50. <laughs> but we got them down and got them up. But uh, I'm just so uh, grateful that y'all decided to in, in, in invest in this man as he invests in our students. But let's pray and let's dive right in. Lord, you're so good and glorious. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to your truth. You would show us your beauty. You would show us the, the richness of Christ in the Old Testament as you pull out pearls through the story of Noah. Lord, I pray that we would have open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, like I said, we're going to be in Genesis 6. We're going to cover some ground this morning, so we're going to be moving quick. But we are continuing our series, The Gospel of Genesis, following the lineage of the snake crusher. And um, you might be like, gospel in Genesis. I know four gospels. Genesis is not one of them. Well, yeah, we call the, the four stories of Jesus in the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the reason we're calling this the Gospel of Genesis is because I want you to see God's story of redemption starts in the book of Genesis. In each book, he's unfolding these truths of how he's going to send this son, this Jesus Christ, this snake crusher, to reverse the curse of sin. So... Do you remember what the first promise is? I gave it away. Genesis 3.15. I told you uh, the, the first week that we were going to do this, so we're going to do it every week. Um, what's, what's the first promise of Jesus in the Bible? Genesis 3.15. Let's say it together. It should be on the screen. That the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus Christ is this snake crusher. Romans 16, 20 says that one day God will crush Satan under his feet. Jesus is God in the flesh. Today, as we study the story and the life of Noah, I want you to ask yourself this question as you, and as you study the Bible on your own. What does this story have to do with God's original promise of Genesis 3, 15? Because they, they all do. In our passage this morning, we're going to find a God of justice, a God of grace, and a God who will preserve his promises. So here's, here's our what is true. God will deliver those who have faith in him 
and he will bring a greater destruction on all the sons of, of unrighteousness than in the days of Noah. That gives you warm fuzzies, doesn't it? But it's where we're at today. So what do we do with this? Put your faith in Jesus and in his righteousness, and you will be preserved from the wrath to come. So let's jump right in. Look at verses six, uh, chapter 6, verse 5, and we're going to see uh, God judging the sinfulness of man. Just a quick recap. In Genesis 4, we have the story of Cain and Abel and Seth. Cain kills Abel. God curses Cain. And we see the generations of Cain spread across the earth. And as his generations spread things as... I grew up out in East Texas, as that pastor says out there, and things got worser and worser. <laughs> but at the end of the chapter, God gives us a ray of hope. A new person is introduced. Adam and Eve, they have another son, and his name is Seth. Seth means the anointed one. And his lineage is going to be anointed, and it's going to be the lineage that this snake crusher, Jesus Christ, the promise of Genesis 3.15, is brought through. Genesis 5, we're not going to read it this morning. It, it goes through the generations of Seth. And the, the generations run from Seth to Noah. I'm, I'm under no illusion. I don't believe that it's necessarily hitting every every person, every, uh, every person in that lineage. But I think it's showing us how we, get to set, uh, how we get to Noah. And Noah is in the line of Jesus that you find in Luke and Matthew's gospel. Noah is in the lineage of the snake crusher. As we build to Noah, the reign of sin is so bad that God says in Genesis 5, 8, Luke, uh, 6, 5, I'm sorry, I got twisted. This is what it says. The Lord, Yahweh, saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. You don't read often about God being grieved. God's grieved here. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animal and creeping thing and birds of the heaven. For I am sorry that I have made them. But, but, but Noah. The, these transitions are glorious. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So, God's heart is grieved over the sinfulness of man. In the first six chapters, um, God's already revealed himself in a few ways. God reveals himself as creator. He reveals himself as a God who cares about his creation and a God who has a special relationship with humanity. He's created humanity to be his image bearers. And by chapter six, they're so, we as humans are so scarred by the fall the stain of sin runs so deep and spreads so wide that God's heart is broke and he regretted ever making us. 
We see God in chapters 3 and chapters 4, he deals with sin on a personal level, right? Adam and Eve sins, and he goes to Adam and Eve, and he deals with their sin. Chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. God comes to Cain personally and deals with that sin. But as things get worse, we don't see God intervene in the same way. The world spirals into sin, and now instead of dealing with sin personally and individually, though he does with all of us, we see God, he's about to deal with, with everyone's sin. He's about to give a judgment to the whole world. But verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This word favor can also be translated as grace. What about Noah was worthy of him getting grace? What about Noah was worthy of Noah finding favor? Was he just awesome? No. There's nothing about him. It's God's plan. It's God's sovereignty. It's God working things out according to his purposes. He wasn't just better than everybody else. Hebrews 11 tells us what we should think about Noah and his righteousness. I told you uh, very early on that Hebrews 11 is going to be the companion for us to understand what's going on in the book of Genesis. So as you read through the book on your own, keep flipping over to Hebrews 11. I'm reading Hebrews 11 as much as I'm reading Genesis right now so that I can understand what's happening in Genesis. Hebrews 11 tells us what to think about his righteousness. This is what it says. You'll see on the screen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's talking about God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that his reward is those, for those who seek him. So was Noah just awesome? Noah had faith, because apart from it, it would be impossible to please him. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God's uh, con concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Noah had faith, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham, we'll see next week in chapter 12, had faith, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abel had faith, and his offering was accepted. By faith alone is not a New Testament construct. By faith alone is how God has been saving since the beginning. The people during the time of Exodus uh, and in the Old Testament, they were not saved by the blood of bo uh, goats and bulls. They were saved by faith alone in God. We can't get away from this faith alone stuff. Also, I think we need to ask the question, why, if everything was this bad, right? Like, God is slow to anger. It tells us over and over and over. If everything was this bad, why didn't he just start over? Why didn't he just wipe everybody out? Did, 
God spare Noah because of his moral fortitude? No. I mean, he had faith, but let's, I want, do you know the only other thing we really know about Noah? Noah builds the ark. We're about to look at that. He gets off the ark in this new garden scenario as, I mean, Noah's like king. There's nobody else left. You know what he does with this, with this new dominion? He gets drunk. That's what Noah does. And then he curses one of his sons in a, a drunken stupor. That's, that, that's Noah. God did not wipe Noah out because of the promise of Genesis 3.15. That the seed of the woman will one head crush the head of the serpent. If God wipes out Noah, that means God cannot be trusted. If God wipes out Noah, that means God is not a God who keeps his promises. If God wipes out Noah, yeah, it does mean that God's powerful, but it means that God's not all powerful because he couldn't keep a promise. God protecting Noah had everything to do with the previous promise of Genesis 3.15. It had everything to do with an eternity past, God deciding that he's going to send his son to save us from our sins. Our God is a promise-keeping God. Let's look at verses 9 through 14. God comes and he warns Noah. These are the generations of Noah. Remember, we, we've talked about this word generations. That's like you're keying in on something different happening. Every time you see generations, we, that, that's a key word in the book of Genesis. Now, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had been corrupted their ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Noah, he, God comes and he warns Noah. And like I said, the, the, how you know you're transitioning out of a story is this word generations. So this is the transition out of how bad the world had become in chapter 5. Here in a second, or here in a second, next, uh, next week we'll see the, the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we'll be transitioning uh, Japheth and Ham out of the story, even though they're going to be around. You'll see them in Egypt, and you'll see them in Canaan. Isn't that crazy? These things keep popping up all the way through the Old Testament. And then we'll notice one generation, right? The generation of Shem. And we'll follow his children all the way to Jesus Christ. Every time you see these generations, what they're doing, they're taking you somewhere. They're exiting people out of the story and narrowing in on specific people in the story. And so God, he comes and he, he, he 
he tells Noah that he's going to wipe everyone out. And the, the reason I selected that passage of scripture, when God doesn't say much to us, right? This book is relatively small. God here repeats over and over and over about the wickedness of men. And he tells Noah that he's about to unleash his wrath on the world. And Noah has to make an ark. And then God goes on in verses 15 through 22, we're not going to read this morning, about what this ark's to be like. It's supposed to be three levels. He's supposed to take animals two by two. He's supposed to uh, bring a little bit of extra animals on the ark for food. And then he's supposed to bring a little bit of extra clean animals so that he can have a sacrifice on the other side of it. God, God gives a promise to Noah of God's punishment and God's protection. I want you to know this about God. God never just shows up and just gives punishment. He gives opportunity. He gives promise. And he's given you a promise today that you have the opportunity for his punishment or you have the opportunity for his protection if you enter into a relationship by faith. Verse 16, this is what he says. I, behold, or 17, behold, I will bring floodwaters upon the earth to destroy all flesh with, which breathes life under earth. And everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Believing in God and his promises, Noah Noah responds, skip down to verse 22. Noah did this, and he did all that the Lord had commanded him. So how long did it take Noah to do this? Well, the popular belief, the Bible doesn't specifically say. I believed it specifically said, because I've had it told to me so many times, and I went looking this week, and it's like, doesn't say that. The popular belief is 120 years it took Noah to create the ark. Um, they get that from Genesis 6-3, where God says, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. So they think that's the 120-year countdown. Also, uh, you could... They, they, they look at the generations and when Noah's introduced and how old he is when he gets... So there, there's a couple of things that they're looking at to get that 120 years. Um... During that time, because we know, no matter what, we know it took a little bit, right? He didn't have a crane. During that time, could you imagine how ridiculous Noah looked? Could you imagine the ridicule that he received from his friends and family? He's building a boat for a flood, and the Bible tells us that rain had never fallen on the earth. At that time, you're like, well, how did it never rain? Well, this is going down a rabbit hole that we're not going to chase, but short version, there is a firmament that engulfed the earth, whatever that means. They believe that the Bible says the firmament. firmament. Um, they think it created like a greenhouse effect and that water came up out of the earth and that's how everything was watered. So that's, that's what's going on. But Noah, he's building an ark He's building a boat, preparing for a flood and preparing for rain. And I bet he just looked crazy to everybody. Remember, 
how you felt when end time preppers would talk to you pre-COVID? Pre-COVID, right? About needing to be prepared. And they would go into all these things and like it was everything you could do to dislodge your eyes from the back of your head while they were talking. And some of you are the end time prepper and you're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when, when COVID hit, and everything started shutting down, we were all wishing that we'd been storing up water and bullets and food and the most special of all, toilet paper, right? (laughs) Who knew that that was the greatest necessity? Everybody thought that Noah was crazy. 2 Peter 2, 5 tells us that, that Noah was a herald of righteousness. Maybe your translation says something like this, that he was a preacher of righteousness. So that means that Noah didn't go off in the quiet. He didn't go off in the woods and start building. Instead, that means he's heralding to someone. He's preaching to someone. He's he's preaching repentance and righteousness and salvation for a coming judgment for all who would not put their faith in God. He was preaching a salvation for anyone who would put their faith in God. Your walk with God will look crazy to the world. You, like Noah, should be preaching a destruction that the world has never seen. You, might, like Noah, while living in the world, you're supposed to look different than the world. We're not supposed to care that much about what the world thinks. Like, I, uh, I love this illustration. Uh, Jordan was reading a book, and she shared it with me one time. It's, it's about, like, think about on, uh, on Saturdays, because uh, colleges are way crazier than NFL could ever think about being. Like, you show up to these games, and people are wearing ridiculous colors. They, they have ridiculous chants. Everybody knows it, and you could care less if the person beside you is not wearing your team's color, Right? Spoiler alert, you do look ridiculous. Like burn orange doesn't look good on nobody. <laughs> I mean, everybody's laughing, but y'all all got green and yellow mixed together. I'm just saying. E- equal opportunity offender this morning. But we're to look different from the world. We, we shouldn't be caring the world and your family will think that you're crazy because you're telling them that this book, hey, I got this book from God. Like, automatically, that sounds crazy. Like, we, we realize that. We've got this book from God, and God told you that he will save you, and he'll save whoever you're talking to as well if they put their faith in Jesus. But it's true. Listen to what Jesus has to say about it in Luke 17, 26. Just as it was in the day, just as it was in the days of Noah, this is Jesus talking. So will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came to destroy them all. Jesus says that there's a destruction coming that's greater than in the days of Noah. And that Jesus 
when he comes back, he's going to destroy them all. When Jesus comes back, he will be wielding a sword. And with that sword, he will strike down all the nations, great and small. He will destroy this earth. He will obliterate this earth with fire. And then everyone will have to go and stand before the judgment seat of God. And then he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And he will totally have reversed the curse of sin. And we will be with God forever in this new Eden, this new Jerusalem. Walking with God. Their destruction, these ones that you love, the the world that thinks you're crazy, it won't just be from this earth. Jesus tells us that we should fear God who can destroy both body and soul. The destruction of the soul is an everlasting eternity of suffering in a real place called hell, which, this makes us uncomfortable, but it's true, which is the righteous judgment, the righteous punishment for all who reject King Jesus. We are to be heralds telling the world that the king is coming and telling them about his promises, his promises of punishment that are going to be poured out on all, on all in righteousness, but also be heralding his promises of protection for all who believe. We will seem crazy to the world, like Noah in a wicked generation, but we must be faithful in proclaiming the excellencies of his glory. Let's look at chapter 7 now, chapter 7, 4, preserved by the promise. And I thought about summing all this up. We're about to read a lot, but read it. Because one, I'm not more clever than God. I can't summarize this better than he can. But this is what God has to tell us about this. For in seven days, I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I've made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. Verse five, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Skip down to verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, the foundations of the great deep burst forward. So I'm just going to stop right there. I'm imagining the earth splitting open violently and water gushing up. And the windows of the heavens were open. That means it rained. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and their three wives uh, of his sons with them, they entered the ark. And they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every birth according, bird according to its kind, and every creature, uh, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which breathed life, and those that entered male and female of all flesh. God went, uh, I'm sorry, and went in as God commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Verse 17. 
the flood continued 40 days on earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heavens were covered. By the way, all the mountains. I believe that this is a global flood, not just a regional flood. The waters prevailed above the mountains and covered them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life. He blotted out every living uh, thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animal and creeping things and birds of the heaven. And they blotted them out from the earth and only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Noah was on the, the ark for about five months, or at least in the ark for about five months. Can you imagine the terror that Noah felt? God shut Noah in, whatever that means. He seals him in the boat, and then all he hears is the sound of the earth tearing open, waters gushing forward, I mean, I'm not supposing this is a, a, a calm, a leisurely cruise, right? The boat's rocking and twisting and throwing them about. They, all he can hear is rain hitting the top. He can hear the sound of the voices beating on the side of the boat. Wailing for help. I think one thing that doesn't help us understand the true story of what's going on here is all the, the sweet pictures in the nursery, nurseries of books of Noah. You know, he's standing on the top of the ark. The, 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 the sun comes out, there's a rainbow, and they're, they're, he's like smiling. There's a lion standing by him. It's smiling. There's a giraffe's head sticking out of the little top of it and like zebras and monkeys. And it's all, it's just sweet. It's so sweet. The only greater picture of God's wrath being poured out on humanity is what's coming in Christ. The reality is that there were corpses floating. The reality is, everyone he knew and loved, except for those who were on that boat, died. This is the picture of God's divine wrath being poured out on all in righteousness, preparing us for the snake crusher, Jesus Christ, that will... Jesus, you got to get this. We, we, when we see Jesus, we, he's like sitting on the side of a rock saying, all, all, all the children come to me, which he does. But that's just one picture of him. Jesus, meek and mild. Jesus will devastate the world in a greater way than the rain and the flood waters. 
that these rain and floodwaters, they were great enough to cut in the Grand Canyon and to split apart the earth. But this passage doesn't end just with devastation, but with hope and deliverance. That a God who is capable of such great destruction is also capable of deliverance. Let's look at verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1. Delivered from destruction. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided, and the fountains of the deep, and, um, and the windows of the heavens, they were closed, and the rain from the heavens was restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of the 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested on a mountain, on the mountains of um, Arat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month, and the 10th month on the first day of the month, and the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the windows of the ark that he had made, and he sent out a raven, and it went to and fro the waters um, to see where it were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him on the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and, and took her and brought her into the ark. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and set forth a dove and it did not return anymore. And in the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up off of the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Man, could you imagine how happy Noah was when he opened the, the window after being on, those, that, being on that boat for you know, basically five months with all those stinky animals. That was a gift unto itself. I, I think about um, when we were in Fort Worth, we were, we were working at a church, and there was a lady that lived behind the church. She was sick, and we were bringing some food over. Jordan and made her some food, and I didn't know this, but she was a cat lady. And um, so when we opened the door to, to give her the, the soup, the, the stench just hit you in the face. I mean, it, it almost knocked you back. I remember, like, trying to be nice, trying to, like, hold a conversation, but you, you're just trying not to breathe in, just only exhaling words out. But this dude had, th it, was a, it was a triple dicker of animals on this thing. You know it was funky. That is not what this is talking about, but that's where my mind goes. So he opens this window. He sends out a... Uh, a raven, and this is cool. This is still, uh, they did the same thing um, in, in the nautical world all the way into the 1900s. They would send out a raven um, if they didn't have the, 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 the radar. And uh, if it came back, they knew that they were a long way from land. If it didn't, um, they, they, they knew they were close. So he sends out the raven. I'm assuming it comes back. 
He sends out this first dove. There's nowhere in the land. It comes back. He waits another seven days. He sends out this next one. It comes back with an olive branch. The olive branch is a symbol of peace. So it comes back with the symbol, and he waits another seven days, and he sends this other one out, this other dove out, and it doesn't come back. So he knows he can open the door, and then he, he even waits longer. Um, but God kept his promise, and God delivered Noah. I wanted you to see uh, chapter 8, verse 20. And God promises, um, he makes a promise to himself. Then Noah, he built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered the burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, so God's talking to himself here. I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I've done. While the earth um, remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, uh, day and night shall not cease. So Noah gave an offering. It pleased the Lord. God said in his heart a couple of things. He makes these declarations. The first, he says he's not going to destroy the, water with the, uh, the world with a flood again. Um, second, that he's not going to curse the ground again. Remember um, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did he do? He cursed the ground. When Cain sinned, what did he do? He cursed the ground. When the world sinned, what did he do? He cursed the ground and he sent a flood. He says, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then finally, he gives them an observation that I think we need to take note of. Because we believe that men are generally good. That's just not true. This is what God says. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's not just our actions that end up being evil, but we're told that the intentions of our heart are evil too. And um, we, need a, we need a spiritual heart transplant. And that's what God gives us in Jesus Christ. He sends us his Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us and to change us, to make us a new creation. As the, the picture of baptism that we saw earlier, going down under the water, represents dying to the old man and then being raised in the newness of life that the Holy Spirit comes in you and you're not just saying, hey, I'm with Jesus now. You're saying the Holy Spirit indwells me and I am a new creation. He gives us transformation. But let's look at this last part real quick. We're going to read verses 8 through 16, God's covenant of peace. Then God said to Noah and to his sons that were with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock and every beast of the earth that's with you, as many that came out of the ark, for it's every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood that destroys the earth. And God said... This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of flesh. And the water shall never begin, uh, again become a flood that destroys all flesh. 
When the bow is in the cloud, I will see it and I will remember my everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh of the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I established between me and all the flesh of the earth. So what in the world is a covenant? A covenant is a binding promise. And when God makes these covenants, these covenants, they're binding, they're eternal. That's why I think that the, 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 the promise that God makes in Genesis 3.15 is a covenant. There's always shedding of blood at a covenant. And God tells them, hey, this is not just between me and man. This is between me and everybody, all living creatures. This, this covenant with Noah is like the covenant with Adam and Eve. God, God is normally the active participant in humanity and those who he makes the covenant with most often are passive recipients of God's grace. God will not destroy the earth in the same way. Like a warrior, after a peace treaty is made, what does a warrior do? Does he keep, does he keep fighting after the peace treaty is made? No, he goes and hangs up his weapon of war. God hangs up his weapon of war. He places his bow in the sky. After he made a covenant of peace with Noah, God will, every time it rains, it tells us, put the sign of the bow, we call it the rainbow in the sky, as a sign to show that he remembers his promise. And I love the rainbow because the rainbow points directly to Jesus. Christ is the picture of the rainbow. The rainbow is the image of God's mercy. Hear me, hear me, this last thing I'm going to tell you. Christ is the picture of God's mercy and God's wrath. Mercy in that Christ, God, gave his life on your behalf so that you could have eternal life. Jesus stepped off the throne in heaven. Jesus is God, by the way. He stepped out of heaven. He became a man. He lived a perfect life. He lived for 30 years, and he died a criminal's death so that he could purchase our pardon. That's what he did with his life. It's God's mercy that he offers us salvation through the shed blood of his son. And an ark, if you will, to carry us through the coming judgment of God to deliver us into heaven. He's his mercy because we did not receive the bowl of wrath, which we, everybody, deserves. Instead, we are given an inheritance to reign for, with Christ. We're not just going to, to heaven to be servants. We're not just going to heaven as fire insurance. Like the, Being saved is not just, it's not just squeaking by. When we go to heaven, we will reign as sons and daughters of God. We will be heirs to the kingdom. He gives us the ring to show us that we are his. He clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus. We are adopted. There's nothing that can wipe us away. There's nothing that can take us away. In, in, in the ancient Greek culture, when someone was adopted, that meant they, can, they could never be disowned. He will never disown us. You're not just barely saved. 
you're fully saved by the righteousness of Jesus. He's the picture of mercy, but he's also the picture of God's perfect wrath. The bow was a weapon of war, and Jesus is the weapon of war of the Father. The first time Jesus came as Jesus meek and mild, the next time he's coming, he's coming as the king riding on a white horse, and there will be a sword protruding from his mouth that he will strike down the nations. He will gather Satan and the beast and the Antichrist. Like, they're, they're, they're all coming together for war like they could even do something. And he takes and he tosses them into the lake of fire, binds them in chains and throws them in, and they will be no more. He is God's weapon, his perfect weapon of war. Christ's power in giving eternal life and forgiving sin, church, it's perfect. It's perfect. But Christ's power for exacting God's wrath on those who reject him, it's also perfect. This morning, I want you to know that God loves you. But God has promises. He's got, and he's going to keep his promises. And he's going, one promise is that he's going to, to, to pour out wrath on all unrighteousness. And the other is that he's going to save everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to be standing right here. I would love to have a conversation, or I'll be in the back. I, I would love to talk to you about what it means to enter into this relationship, to enter into the, the ark of the promise and be delivered from the coming wrath. But also, for everyone else, what I'm asking you is commit to being heralds of righteousness, even in a world that thinks you're crazy. If you will, bow your heads with me.